Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. How will we know what you're like and who you are if you had not given us scripture and so clearly painted a picture for us of what you're like, how beautiful, how good, how righteous you are. And knowing you gives us confidence. And so we pray today that you would open up your word to us and that today this short communication, because it is your word, would somehow supernaturally have more power than all the other words we hear during the week. And I pray that you would strengthen me and hold me up as in the flesh I am feeling worn out, but in the spirit feeling very much alive. I pray, God, that this time now will be a great blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been with us for a little while, you know that uh, we've just finished the longest sermon series in church history. It was called 100 Things that you should know from the Bible. It lasted over three years. Uh, I don't think we will ever do something like that again. And now I've just started a new series, and the new series is called True Community. And the reason we began this series is because it was becoming clear to me that as I talk with many different individuals at our church, we're, genuinely, we're, we're generally feeling okay with our relationships. We know a lot of good people, a lot of friends, but somehow in the midst of that reality... Lots of people were feeling a profound loneliness at the same time. That while their lives are surrounded by friends and acquaintances, somehow there was still this lingering feeling that no one really knows me that well. And so we wanted to explore what the Bible has to say about how human beings come together to form what we call community. Community is kind of a buzzword in the church these days, but really um, it's a way of saying that rather than walking as separate individuals in a group, we will actually become one body together, very much like what a family when it's healthy is supposed to feel like. So the word of God this morning, um, it's two passages, but I'm not going to really go deep into those two passages. I want to draw out two simple observations this morning from them. The title of the message is Christ Center, but the subtitles probably more, ex- more explains why I have a bottle of glue uh, on the picture there. And it is how Jesus holds true community together. I believe that everything that is held together needs a binding agent, something that causes it to hear. And in these, in these verses, we see that it is Christ who holds the church together. Here's what it says. In Colossians 1, 17-18, it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. In Ephesians 4, verses 15-16, to 16, Paul further writes, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
Now, how many of you have heard of Louis Giglio? Anybody heard that name before? I love that last name, Giglio. It always makes me laugh. I wish I had a name like that, Giglio. And he, he is famous for starting the Passion Movement. Have you guys heard of the Passion Movement? They have these conferences where, where university-aged people from all over the world gather, and it is a very, very passionate movement. Lots of great music, lots of great teaching, and a new generation of young adults being set on fire for the kingdom of God. He also pastors Passion City Church in Atlanta, and recently he became quite well known for introducing a, this idea. Uh, he introduced the world to a little-known protein called laminin. Have you guys heard of laminin? It's a little molecule that forms an integral part of the structure of base membranes. Uh, structure, base um, membranes. It's basically a, an adhesion molecule, a connector that literally holds together most animal cells. And what's so fascinating about it is it's really responsible for holding our bodies together. I would be a pile of other junk without laminin. And here's what laminin looks like, which is why he was so fascinated by it. It's the shape of a cross so that the thing that holds us literally together looks like the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if that's God's little signature way of proving the truth of these verses. It's, it's very interesting. It's a cool observation. But this illustration visually simply points us to a greater and un, an irrefutable spiritual truth. And that is that people cannot coexist in meaningful and healthy relationship for very long apart from the power of Jesus Christ. You know, you can stay together as a family or a church or a company because you're motivated by finances or just out of a sheer sense of duty or stubbornness. But we're talking about people coexisting in harmony in growing genuine love in safety and vulnerability Family life, the way it always was supposed to feel, where you don't have to put up your guard, you don't have to be nervous, you don't have to hide yourself. We've all longed for that kind of community, and what the Bible teaches us is that kind of community is not possible without Jesus. Now, I know as a Christian pastor, that sounds pretty arrogant, like oh, oh, we've got the one monopoly on human relationships. But I believe with all my heart that's true, because what Jesus does to a human being is absolutely essential for human beings to coexist truly, ideally with one another. Jesus is the glue that holds all creation together. <clears throat> when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they awakened to was, oh my gosh, we're naked. What a strange thing for them to notice. They sinned and the first thing they went was, like, oh my, why that? Because prior to, to that sin entering the world, there were no barriers between them. There was total exposure, total vulnerability, and they felt comfortable because no evil in their heart was projected onto others. They knew that no matter what they looked like, no one would look with judgment upon them. No matter how vulnerable physically they were, no one would do harm to them. And in that un, perfect, unbroken state of holiness... Nobody had barriers between them. But the minute sin entered the picture, the first thing they did was they cut off some leaves from a fig tree and they covered their privates. That's what all the children's Bibles thankfully do, is they present the fig leaves. Aren't you happy about that? Um, but that's what they did. They covered themselves because what they were saying is, now there's going to be a barrier between me and you. 
I can't actually be myself because now I am ashamed of myself and I'm mistrustful of you. I wish I could be open, but I just don't think I can. That's what sin did. It broke relationships. It broke relationships from between them and God and between them and one another. And that's why they wanted to flee and hide from God and flee and hide from one another. That's the state of the human condition until Jesus Christ came and reconciled man to God and man to one another. Apart from the saving work of Jesus, we really don't have the equipment, the formatting in our hearts to be able to look at each other and actually forgive to the depth that is required for people to love one another for a long time. So I want to explore two ways in which Jesus holds the community together. And I'm presuming largely we're talking about the community of the church. There are, thank you so much. There are other relationships that are meaningful in our lives, and Jesus has a role in those as well. But for today, I want to restrict our, our exploration to the community of the church. How does Jesus hold the church together? And I think there are two primary ways. One is that Jesus is the one who brings us together. Why are you here if not for Jesus? I mean, the truth is, many of us in this room probably wouldn't even be friends if it weren't for a shared experience of Jesus Christ. Because in what other setting would we have run into one another? Isn't that true? Some of us are, are different ethnically, and the way America is structured, the likelihood of us running into each other is very, very low until Christ entered the picture and leveled the playing field and made something like a bridge for all of us to cross over to be united to one another. <clears throat> so Jesus is the reason that we are together in this church. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. I remember once in university, um, some people threw a birthday party for me. But in the middle of the party, it kind of became clear to me, everyone was there to party with each other, and no one was talking to me. And I got kind of ticked. I'm like, you come to a guy's birthday party, and nobody even would notice if I walked out of the apartment. And, you know, it was one of those kind of self-pity moments. I was like, no, nobody really likes me. They just wanted an excuse to get together. And, and, you know, it's easy to be called together for a reason and then forget why you're there. It's important for us to remember that the primary reason we are together as this strange group of people. And every time I talk about this, I ask you to look around. I'm just seriously, look around. Just do it. Actually, physically, please do it. Look around. For what other reason would you be in a room with these people? Maybe randomly we might have found each other in the same movie auditorium at South Barrington. But it is Jesus who has constituted this church and called this group of human beings together. And what Paul says in his letter to the Colossians is he is before all things. And at the end in verse 18, he says, so that he himself will come to have the first place in everything. Among other things, what I believe that means is that Jesus is never a secondary factor when we're talking about the church. That if we exclude Jesus from the discussion our discussions about the church have no real meaning because the church only exists because and around the central figure of Jesus Christ. That's why when you are not walking in intimacy with Jesus, you start to drift relationally even from the people in the church. 
You start to get annoyed by people, easily irritated by people, because the real glue that holds all of us together is Jesus who called all of us together in the first place. Apart from Jesus, this is the weirdest club on earth. If you don't come here primarily to be with Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, to grow in Jesus, this is a really weird place to hang out on Sunday mornings. Wouldn't you agree? And that's why if we're going to grow as a community, Jesus has to be front and center, the most central and primary figure in our relationships. That's one of the first ways in which our relationships are meant to be Christ-centered is that they're built around Jesus, infused with Jesus, covered over with Jesus, that we cannot relate to each other for very long without Jesus entering the room. But here's the wrong way to try to build Christ-centered relationships. The wrong way is to just make it about our language or, or about our mannerisms, to paint everything we do with a Jesus brush or push hard to drive every conversation back towards religious stuff. You know, and I know people who do get very antsy when we're hanging out and nobody's said a prayer yet or nobody's talked about the Lord yet. And I, and I get that. But that's not the primary way that we experience Jesus in community. The way I believe we build authentic, unawkward, Christ-centered relationships is when Jesus is the central figure in each of our individual lives so that we, when we come together, we share what is meaningful to us. You know the difference when somebody talks about Jesus the way a historian talks about Winston Churchill or when somebody talks about Jesus the way a brother talks about his sister or husband talks about his wife like somebody I really know. Are you guys tracking with me? Do you know the difference between someone, you, you just hear them, they talk about God and it's a little awkward because you feel like they're talking about some figure who's public and everyone knows them but not like somebody they actually walk with, relate to, really know in a relationship. The only way we're going to see Christ-centered community built is if our individual lives are Christ-centered as we come together. Because if that's not happening, then what will we actually share? And that's when you see churches begin dividing along fault lines of ethnicity or gender or age or generation. Churches come together for lots of things. Sometimes they are brought together because everybody's mostly the same ethnicity or everybody's in the same generation or age group or sometimes the same geographic region. A lot, of, a lot of churches are organized because everybody who comes here lives basically in this area. Sometimes churches are built because of a cultural preference. This church is too traditional. I want to go to church where it's cooler or more modern or something like that. And so people rally around that. Those may be all legitimate descriptors of the commonalities people in a church have, but you cannot build the church on those commonalities alone. You can build clubs that way, but the church cannot be built just because we're all the same race, we're all the same socioeconomic level. That is not a lasting way to bring a group of people together. Now, recently I had a conversation with a friend who's been going through a very, very rough time in his life. And he just shared with me in a vulnerable moment, because um, I, I asked him, hey, are people coming around you during this time? You're getting the support you need? And he said, well, yes and no. Lots of people have approached me and have been there with me and for me, but I got to admit to you that I'm a little frustrated and wounded by the kind of support I'm getting. So I asked, Why? Well, tell me about that. And he said, well... 
All the people who've rallied to my side have taken one of two modes. Either they commiserate with me. Man, it sucks the situation you're in. I would hate to be. I'm so sorry for you. And there's a lot of commiseration. Or there's problem-solving, advice-giving, fix-it mode. Here's what you got to do next. Let's do this. Let's circle the wagons. Let me fix this. Let me give you some advice. Both meaningful and valid kinds of support. But the reason he was grieving is because that wasn't the kind of support he needed. And here's what he said. It just pierced me. He said, you know, that was nice support, but it was no different than I would get from any of my non-Christian friends. There was nothing distinctly Christian about the way they sought to help me. My non-believing friends can commiserate with my plight. My non-believing friends could give me really good advice about how to get out of this jam, what to do next. But then he said there was one new friend who entered his life in a rather unexpected way, and this one new friend really breathed fresh life into him because this new friend said, hey, the way you're going through this without giving in to bitterness really pleases the Lord. God's pleased with you right now. And that just was like a a breath of fresh air when you've had a plastic bag over your head. He just said it was like a ray of sunlight because in in the fog of his pain and suffering, what was happening is his view of Jesus was becoming clouded. Pain does that to us. When you're in the midst of terrible loneliness, isolation, suffering, one of the first things that usually happens is your view of God starts to get cloudy. Fog develops, and you're like, God, where are you in my life right now? And what he needed was not commiseration or fixing advice. What he needed was someone who would bring Jesus back into the center of his picture. Someone who would blow the fog away and say, hey, remember Jesus, he's still right here. He hasn't left your life. And that's what this new friend did in his life. And that really spoke to me. That when we relate to one another, the thing we have to relate most is our common ground in Jesus Christ. But the reason that that person's words were so meaningful was because they flowed out of a genuine place. That this guy wasn't using Jesus' language, he was sharing Jesus genuinely. And and what I realized was when we are stepping into another person's life, when we're engaging in relationship, we share out of what is central to our own lives. That's why you become most animated whenever people are talking about those topics that are really at the center of your own heart. You know, if people are talking about iPhone versus Samsung, half of you might be like, whatever. But then someone goes, hey, Derek Rose might be playing. And all of a sudden you wake up, "Uh uh-huh. Tara grows, yeah, and you get animated. You start talking about it because you realize this is not a topic far from your heart. And when you begin sharing about it, talking about it, it arises out of a deep and genuine place, and everyone knows it, and the conversation has some legs. What I realize is what we share with each other, you can't mask what's really there. We share with one another what's really the substance of our hearts. And if the way you approach life does not have Jesus at the center, but you approach life strategically, pragmatically, that's what you're going to share every time someone's in crisis. I don't know about all that Jesus stuff, but let me fix your problem. Let me give you some good counsel. Even if that's not what's primarily needed, it is what you have to give away because it's the center of your life. And that's why I think if we're going to build Christ-centered relationships in our community, 
the most important thing that's got to happen as a prerequisite is that we genuinely know how to include Jesus in the fabric of our lives so that when we speak of him, it doesn't ring hollow or sound awkward like we're talking about a figure, but we're talking about someone we know. So my exhortation, my encouragement to you is don't focus on steering the conversation back to Jesus and to religious things, but give away the Jesus who actually walks with you every day. And our church is filled with many people who, when they talk to me about Jesus, I fully believe it because I know he's a part of your actual life. If you keep doing that, we will actually build a community here that's centered around Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more observation. And, you know, the, the headings of these points, I don't, I'm just trying to keep a certain pattern going. But here are the substance of the points, not the titles of the points. The other thing is that Jesus is the one who actually keeps us together. He calls us together. But now that we're here, it's a little prickly to keep staying together, isn't it? Because even though you came here out of Jesus calling to be the church, you spend enough weeks here and sooner or later someone's going to tick you off. Somebody is going to grate on your nerves. Am I alone? (laughs) Come on. You know that's true, right? Every church you've ever been to, you stay at least a couple weeks, someone's going to irritate you. You're like, oh, man. Uh Uh-uh, no. I can't be around that guy at lunch, no. And it's because of this. I think most human community is built around personality. And so we walk around the world knowing our own personalities and looking for other people whose personalities resonate with ours. And so if you're genuinely, if you're generally like a quiet, soft-spoken person, you gravitate toward the, the understated people. Not the, hey, everyone, look at me. Those people grate on you. You're like, look at that guy, man. He, he wants to be the superstar. What kind of... And so what we normally do is we say, I am a personality... I live among other personalities. Let's see which puzzle pieces fit well together, and that's who my tribe will be. I I get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. But you know how I define personality? Personality is who we are when the world shapes us. Your personality is a result of heredity, nurture from your infancy, the influence and example of your parents, ethnic and cultural cues, experiences in this broken turd of a world. Are you with me? Your personality was shaped by all of this. You might say, look, I just, I have an impatient personality, all right? Or I have asked people, how come you never smile? Hey, I'm just not a smiley guy. That's my personality. No, it's not. It is your personality, but it's not, it's not just because you were born and confined to that. It is what the world shaped you to be like. Your personality is the result of the world's whittling away at who you are. And that's why it gets a little prickly. Because when the world shapes us, we have rough corners and sharp edges, don't we? When the world shapes us, it shapes us in ways that aren't always so attractive. I know that I have personality traits that are not good. You guys know too, right? I mean, there are things I do that I just know. Some of you, you go, I really wish you'd not do that very often. 
Because every time he does it, it makes it harder to listen to his sermons. Some of you have personality traits that I don't find attractive. And if we're going to build this church on on the basis of personality alone, it's not going to go very far. Either I will walk with you until you just become so annoying, I will stop walking with you. Or I will walk with most of you, but not some of you. Right? Like, these are my friends, those, whatever. Isn't that the way most community gets built? I'll walk with you until you disqualify yourself, or I'll walk with those people I can walk with, and everyone else will just have to be on the back of the bus. That's community of a sort, but it's less than the community which God intended for us. So how do we become the body of Christ? How do we become the church? Well, we can't build it on personality, and that's where Jesus comes in. And it says in Ephesians that we are all growing up maturing spiritually, developing and forming into the head who is Christ. That together, we are not just randomly growing in different directions, but we are orchestrated in our growth. We are becoming like him. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, far more clearly, we are predestined to be conformed to the likeness of the Son of God. Bottom line, here's what it's saying. That in the church, as we walk with God, one of the unceasing activities of God in our lives is he is shaping us into the image, the likeness, the resemblance to Jesus himself. What that means is he's forming in us the character of Christ. I define character as what we're like when God shapes us. So personality is what we're like when the world shapes us. And character is what we're like when God shapes us. And that's why it's so important that Jesus is the center of our community because when Jesus is present and working and powerful, he doesn't leave us in the personalities we started with. A lot of my personality will still remain. I'm a loud, boisterous, obnoxious guy sometimes. God is working on me. But that's going to be the baseline of who I am. But in the midst of that baseline personality, which I may never fully shed in this life, God is also overlaying it with certain character traits that at times will resemble Jesus. At least I hope that's happening. Could you give me a little encouragement? Just a little something that says, yeah, sometimes you actually stop being annoying for like an hour. Thank you. And some of you, I see that even though your personality in its own natural state would not draw me to you, I see Christ in you, and it's so attractive that I get drawn forward. I guess what I'm trying to say is, Jesus Christ develops character that trumps personality. That way, I can be in community with people whose personalities are obnoxious, but whose characters are becoming more and more attractive by the day. Maybe it'll become a discipline for you to smile, but when you break that smile, it will light up a room and we will find ourselves drawn to one another. And even if you're not smiley, it may be that God is teaching you to walk in joy, even though you don't look joyful. Do you you get what I'm saying? That even if he doesn't reform your personality, he is building a character in you that makes it possible to do life together with people who are very different than you, very repelling to you. That's why I think there's so much power in Christ-centered community. Because though we are all abrasive to each other in the natural, 
when Christ begins really working in us and through us, it becomes easier to be with each other. I mean, just think about the fruit of the Spirit as one example. That's a sign that God is at work in us, is that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is when God's Spirit possesses us. Just think demon possession, but in reverse. When God's Spirit possesses us, what happens? You know, demon possession is pretty obvious. But God possession looks like this. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Would you find it easier to, to be in community with a person who's loving or hateful? Just a quiz. Who would you rather hang out with? Hateful people? People always like, look at those people judging all the time, hating on people. Or do you like being around loving people? Duh. Would you rather spend the day with a joyful person or a grumpy, gloomy, joyless person? (laughs) Would you rather be with somebody who is peaceful or someone who is constantly agitated? belligerent, looking for a fight. Maybe you live with one person who's like that. Would you rather hang out with someone who's patient or someone who's always, always impatient with you? Would you rather hang out with somebody who's kind or somebody who's totally inconsiderate and abrasive? Are you getting the picture? Our personalities make us that other side of the list. It's our personalities that make people grumpy, gloomy, joyless, unforgiving, hateful, judgmental, impatient. The world shapes us into those things. I didn't learn to be judgmental. I was shaped that way. I was formed that way because I'm in a world full of judgeworthy things. I live in an annoying world. And I'm self-righteous and pig-headed. And so the world shapes me into these attributes. But Jesus Christ forms his character in me and begins to win the battle for my persona, my nature, my, my um, countenance, what it's like to be around me. And little by little, as he wins that battle, something starts to happen in the way I relate to people. I'm just going to bring this thing in for landing. Each of us knows somebody who, as we really look at them today, we we say with genuine hearts, man, you have really changed. I remember you in high school. Actually, I actually remember some of you in high school. I remember you in high school. Good Lord. We worried about you, Jeannie and I. We didn't expect great things. We thought you wouldn't be in the church much longer. But, man, God got a hold of you. Jesus has begun to forge his character in you. We love being with you. So fun being around you because though you have a personality and a nature that was one way, Jesus is being formed in you day by day. And I like Jesus. Who could have a problem with Jesus, really? Not Jesus the name, Jesus the idea, Jesus the symbol, but Jesus the person. Who in their right mind could have a problem with Jesus? I hate forgiving, gracious, patient, loving people. I hate serving people, sacrificing people. What jerks? Giving everything away for the sake of others. You can't have a problem with Jesus. You have to be insane 
abnormal to look at a person like Jesus and go, I don't like that. Something's wrong with you. When a person becomes like Jesus, you become a magnet to your fellow human being. Because all that is rough and wrong about us becomes winsome and right in Christ. And that is the great journey that we're on together. And when that process isn't happening, community begins to be destabilized, doesn't it? But when Jesus begins working again, community starts restoring. That happens at home. It happens here. And it's my heart's cry, my prayer, that we would never degenerate into a social club. If we're going to become a club, let's do it right. Let's get some lights and DJ and a dance floor, some drinks. I mean, why, why are we going to pretend this is what a lame club, right? Look around. What a lame club. If we're going to be a club, let's really be a club. But if we're going to be a community in Christ, let's never lose our way. This is a church. We are a Christ-centered community. And we need to work hard at maintaining that focus. And God will have his glory. And he will do something great among us. Amen. Let's pray together. You know, I want to just invite you to reflect a little bit on that first point. You know, what you get excited about, what you give away to people, what you share when you're in relationship, that really reveals what's at the center of your heart, what's at the center of your whole life. We, we relate to one another out of what is most important to us. And so just reflect on this question. When you get together with people, does Jesus naturally enter the picture? Or as the nature of your interactions with people, the same as it would be if all of you were irreligious, unbelieving, just human beings, carbon units coexisting. Because if that is that way, then it's a good tip-off for you that really the first cry of God's heart for you is come back to me. Build your life around me. Know me. Let me enter the actual fabric of your life. Stop being religious. Stop just coming to church. Let me get in and be with you. And if that starts happening, then yes, that's who you will share as you relate to other people. So I'm going to give you a, a little time. I'm going to do some reflecting on that myself. And then I'll come back and just invite you with another prayer, prayer topic, uh, reflection topic in just a few minutes. Okay, so let's just respond to God in that for now. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.